Hey, this is Jeff. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and join us at the table as we talk to another great leader about faith, church, and leadership. Welcome to the Leadership Drip. Hey friends, welcome back to the Leadership Drip podcast. If you're looking for the silky smooth vocals of my partner in crime, Rob Fultz, you won't find them today. He is actually in Virginia on some family, um, a family trip, and I believe he's honoring his father-in-law who's retiring from ministry for, I don't know how long, it's a really long time. We'll have him talk about that next time we're on the show. But I'm not alone. I do have a friend with me. Her name is Hope McQuinn. Hope is the Associate Director of Student Life at Free Chapel College. She's an author, mentor, communicator. Her book is titled The Second Table, and she's a friend of the podcast, and we are excited to have her on. Welcome to the show, Hope. Oh my gosh, hello. Super excited to be here. Um, Love what this is doing, love what it promotes, and I just love the heart behind everything that's being shared on here, and so super honored to be a part of it for sure. Yeah, so you are uh, really, you're a church of a friend of ours, a friend of Lee University's at least, Jensen Franklin. How long you been down there? Oh my goodness. Um, Long story, I used to live in Georgia, then I moved to Florida for a little bit, Um, but I moved back, and I've been here going on five years, being on staff for almost three, but living here for five. Very cool. Jensen's a, a, I think he's a Lee graduate, if I remember. I, I would need Rod to verify that, but I'm pretty sure Jensen's a Lee graduate and a, a Lee guy, so we're, we're, we'll claim him as one of our own. Um, you do something different down there. You're part of what's called Free Chapel College. Now, it's not an actual college. What, what is it that you guys do down there? Yeah, for sure. So Free Chapel College, um, it's a leadership training program, and we're in partnership with Southeastern University. And so students can come to Free Chapel, focus under one of our pastors here, get all of the leadership and ministry training while getting a degree and pursuing their dreams um, through Southeastern. So it's like, it's a just, it's just a different opportunity for students who want to be in ministry, but also want to get the degree as well um, for such a lower cost than going off to an actual university. And so they get to be inside of the church while pursuing their education. Yeah. Um, I know some, some other friends of the show have started something. Uh, the Sealies at the Belonging Company have just launched the Belonging Co. College. Um, I know there's other opportunities at, at VU and Zoe and Highlands, and there's there's other sort of programs that are running very similar to this. Um, and I think what I love about it is what, and I love the university. Please, all of our listeners know I love the university and love our 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 time here. Um, still a student here, actually, trying to finish that master's degree. But <laughs> but what I feel like it, oppor- it gives an opportunity to, and I hope maybe you can speak to this a little more, is a, a more intensive hands-on ministry experience along with the educational part of it. Give us a little bit of an insight into how students are engaging in the ministry aspect. Yeah, for sure. Um, We just believe that experience is something that everybody needs. And so um, a student comes to the Free Chapel College and they can do the certificate or the degree program, um, but the ministry training is still equal on both ends. That's one of the biggest confusion um, things that people run into. It's like, well, if I do the degree, am I going to still get the same experience as a certificate student? And I'm like, yes, you get the same thing. And so a student comes in and they get to choose between three different areas. And so that's Marcom, that's photography, production, all of that, uh, worship and creative arts for all of the singers who is not me. I wish that I could sing, but I can't. Oh, me too. Um, me too. <laughs> so sad. But I'm like, whatever. The Lord told me no. And then we have our pastoral students. And so twice a week, um, they'll have a practicum under those pastoral um, pastors at our church or the Marcom or whatever. And they get to learn how they do everything. They get to learn the ins and outs behind ministry, the behind the scenes, all the stuff that you don't see from the forefront on a Sunday Mm -hmm. morning. So 
they get to learn all the leadership in that. And then two of the other days they have their educational classes, but then they have student life, which is what I do as well. And so that's the fellowship and the community aspect um, and the lasting friendships. And so they really get their toes in kind of everything, um, everything mm-hmm. that pertains to ministry and real life, because there's a lot of places I feel like they'll train you everything on ministry, but then there's nothing to train you on life. And so then they get done with it. And it's like, what do I even do with myself? Yeah. And so it's just kind of a little bit of everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I had a similar experience. The Lord didn't tell me, no, I couldn't sing or play. I, I would took guitar lessons from a guy who was a fellow student at the university who's gone on to be a Grammy award-winning producer. And he said, Jeff, you may not want to do this. So um, we don't name drop on the show, but we do. So this, this person has gone to quite a bit of success, but he was like, Jeff, this probably isn't for you. And I was like, well, maybe I should stick to the preaching side of things. Um, so it's, it's important though. And I think that's an interesting conversation is identifying your calling, identifying what God has wired you up for. How does Free Chapel help students discover that piece of it? Like what, what they're called to do, what they're passionate about, how do those things kind of fall in line and merge? Right. That is the biggest question that I ask every college student, every person I come in contact with. I always want to know, I'm like, what are you passionate about? And you yeah. can't give me the simple answer of Jesus or people because right. that, that's like a known. You should be passionate about those things. But coming into the college, we do a lot of mentorship, one-on-one in small groups, one-on-one with pastoral care, counseling, all of that stuff. And so we set students up in environments and in classes um, and just areas where where it's a safe place for them to be able to search inside themselves, where they feel comfortable digging inside themselves. They like actually find out what they're passionate about. Because even for the students who don't want to be in ministry, wherever you go in your life, you have to have that firm foundation of who you are and an understanding of who you are to be successful in whatever you want to do. And so they have small groups and their small group leaders, um, they were students as well. So they went through the program and they had the discovery of who they are. So therefore, they're the leaders in that group. They're being discipled by us. And so it's like, it's like a trinkle effect. It's like we pour into yeah. small group leaders and the small group leaders, they pour into their students. And it's like the small group leaders, like they're my kids. And so then the small group leaders, their group, like it's their kids. And so it's like, it's all, it all forms together. And so it's just like, we keep ourselves healthy and we keep pouring into those leaders. And then therefore they're going to keep pouring into those people under them. And so it's finally, it's really set up healthy. We have a good team with us now to be able to do that. Um, and so as it expands, um, I think our team will just continue to grow and we'll be able to continue to do that. Yeah. So, so how did you find your way there? I mean, you said you went to, you were in Georgia and then weren't and came back. So how did you get connected to Free Chapel and, and doing what you do? Yeah. Um, I lived in Georgia most of my life and my parents and I moved us to Free Chapel when I was 13 years old. Um, and that was just a low time in my life. I had quickly fallen into alcohol and drugs and I was with Um, a boyfriend at the time and I actually had gotten myself kicked out of youth group when I was 14 years old at Free Chapel because I was just causing all kinds of chaos and just not acting right and so I got kicked out of Free Chapel youth group when I was a teenager and just continued on down that path hated the church um, didn't feel like the church was for me or that I had a spot in the church just the really like judgmental feeling and so I had moved to Florida and I did a ministry school down there got my life together praise the Lord but at the end of those two years, um, Free Chapel College was opening up for their first year ever. And the Lord, like, just straight up, he was like, you're going back there. And I was like, you have me messed up if you think I'm moving back to Georgia, back to the church that kicked me out of youth group to attend their college. Um, but it was one of those things that the Lord's going to have his way, um, you know, when the Lord's speaking. So, like, I had to listen and I had to be obedient. 
So I moved back up to Georgia and I attended the college and halfway through my second year, I got hired on full time. So I've been here ever since. And I tell everybody, I'm like, if you think you're too far gone, I'm like, there hope, there's hope for you. I work at the church I got kicked out of. And so you can do it. <laughs> I think God has, I call them Bethel moments. Um, much like Jacob had to come back to Bethel and go right. back through Bethel. I think sometimes God brings us back to some places that we never thought we'd go back to. Um, and good, better, and different. Some of us have great experiences at those places, and God brings us back to a place to remember that or renew that. And sometimes there are places we had struggle, and He walks us back through that to go, "Yeah, remember that place because I was with you there too." And, and so I, I think we often like. And I'll, I'll be honest; it's funny because Rob and I talk about this a lot on the show, and um, we met we met at least undergraduates. Like so, that, and we won't say how many years ago. It was many years ago. We met an undergraduate Old Testament survey class, um, and never in a million years did we think we'd be back at Lee at the same time together. Right. I think God has this interesting way of, of bringing back those Bethels in our life where, where he showed up or, or was an experience, and he circles us back to those places, and we come find ourselves back there again, right. doing something different, um, the very place sometimes he was there at the first point. Um, so I think that's a great story <laughs> that God brought you back to back to free chapel. Um, so how, how has that been for you? I want to, want to touch on that because you said that at 13 church wasn't for you. So how have you, how's that walked out in your life from being, Hey, this isn't for me. And, and you had this experience in Florida where God's kind of restored, uh, restored you to being this advocate for the church. Right. That's like, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I get asked just because of people who have followed along with me on social media for all these years. They, they know what I used to post and how I was so angry towards the church and everything. Um, and honestly, like, I don't know if I will ever be the biggest advocate of the big C church as a whole, because the more and more that I talk to people, um, I've learned that people don't have an issue with Jesus. More yeah. people want to know Jesus than we think people have an issue with the big C church, with the people inside of the church. And so for mm-hmm. me, um, when people would come up to me and talk to me when I was 13, it never felt genuine or like they wanted to hear about my life to help me, but they wanted to hear about my life. So they had something to talk about. And that was the biggest issue for me is that like, I need genuine people. I need authenticity. Right. And I would just see how people inside of the church acted in Georgia and in Florida um, at, at a lot of churches, honestly, but mm-hmm. It's just people are human. Humans are going to be human. Humans are going to be inconsiderate sometimes. Um, But as someone who didn't know the Lord, when you're you're looking at the people inside of the church to represent this Jesus person, um, it holds a lot more of a weight than what people really do understand. And so through the years of getting saved and understanding who Jesus was, sure, there's there's still going to be people in the church who don't necessarily represent Jesus the right way. Um, But I had to learn that I can't put my judgment on those people. But what I could do was hold myself to a standard to always be representing Jesus the best way that I knew how to. So I never made someone feel the way that someone made me feel. And so that's still something that I struggle with because I see it in so many different churches. I see because I know so many people. I meet so many people and I, I, you see it. And it's not like um, a shady thing to say. I think it's very prevalent and it's a known thing that church people are the worst kind of people sometimes. Um, And so we can't be so quick to put our judgment on them and be like, oh, you're the reason why Christianity is the way this way. But we can just hold ourselves to a higher standard to make sure that we never make people feel that way. Yeah, no, that's good. And I think that's what, what Rob and I've done some research on what, what bears true is 
um, I think a lot of people in Gen Z in your generation are really intrigued by the character of Christ. Um, I think they're often put off by the church or, or at minimum their local church experience, wherever they went. Now we can't, we can, can't make a blanket statement that all churches are bad or all churches have struggle, but, but it's true that some of these young adults have come out of youth groups or churches where they just didn't have a great experience. And there was, it may have just been a certain, a, a specific somebody who was, was, you know, wasn't a positive representation of who Jesus was that pushes them away. Now, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit draws them back, like in your story and in, in other stories we know. Um, but it seems to be a common story. Yeah. Um, now you're doing some things and, and I know you have some, uh, especially the Becoming Better mentorship program. So you're doing some things to kind of offset that narrative. What are you doing with young women and uh, to kind of help wrestle that out? Yeah, um, for the longest time, just growing up, I think my experiences with women, like even my own mother, I didn't have, my mom wasn't present in my life and I got to different churches and like just the examples that I kept on seeing in women was just so terrible to where I like shouted from the rooftops. I'm like, I will never do women's ministry. I'm like, you'll catch me dead before you catch me doing women's ministry. And then eventually, um, the Lord, he was like, how about instead of complaining about it, you do something about it. And I was <laughs> like, I was like, but I don't want to. Um, but I took it and I did. And so now I have a mentorship. Um, every month I'll take 10 girls under and I just help them walk through the different things in their life. And so the first week it's getting to the bottom, of like, what are you passionate about? What makes your heart jump? Like, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? But then the second week, getting down to the roots of like, why do I react this way? Why do I believe this way? Like, why is this something inside of me? And so determining what caused that, but then replacing it with the truth and the word of God and like helping yeah. them combat the lies of the enemy. Because as a woman, we are so vulnerable to insecurity. We're so vulnerable to feeling small because of even how the big C church has made it out to be that only men can be in position. Only men mm -hmm. can be in. It's like, no, but like you as a woman, like you have a purpose too. And so to help women be confident in that, and not let society or culture determine who they are, but really helping them see who they are in Christ um, and just getting them set up for success. And so for that, the whole heart behind that is training women how to be the example in their lives that they didn't. Um, and so it's been going great. I love it so much. I love seeing women on fire for the Lord and just being confident and women being kind to each other. That's so yeah. Women yeah. need to be kind. So, so you mentioned mentorship in the, in the college you, you now are mentoring. Um, did you have someone in, in your life like that? Was there someone who was mentoring you? Yes, absolutely. So um, the pastors who kicked me out of youth group, um, they, they served me so well, and they represented Jesus to me so well, even after that happened through the years mm -hmm. of me being in Florida. Um, they still reached out to me. They still loved on me. They still spoke life over me. And I really do say this, that if they would have just dropped off and wouldn't have been kind to me or loved me, I don't think I would have felt comfortable to move back and come. And I wouldn't be where I am today if they weren't so persistent with me. And so, um, and he's a college pastor now. And so his wife, her name's Laura. She is like, I looked at her and I was like, I need to be this woman. Like, this is a woman who like, I, I strive to be. And so just the most kind hearted person, um, I was always there for anything, has the best advice. And it's like, she doesn't have to be in my face every single day. I don't have to see her every day, but it's yeah. just knowing that there is someone who's praying for me. There is someone that I can run to. Um, and so it's just consistency. It was, it's, it's just always been consistent. And 
I think consistency is something that we all lack, especially in Gen Z generation. It's like very quick or it's like, if I can't get something out of this, then I'm going the other direction. And she just combated that. It's like, even like, cause I couldn't give anything to her and I knew that I couldn't, yeah. but that didn't stop her. She still wanted me. She still wanted to give me her love. Still wanted to support me and pour into me. And so really a lot of my leadership, I think comes from how well she loved me. Um, and I should tell her that at some point, but yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> I'm sure she'd appreciate that. Um, I think mentorship, we, when Rob and I are so passionate about that topic, mentoring and mentorship, we both have had mentors in our life and been mentors. Um, I can say this pretty, I say it pretty openly, um, that I wouldn't be who I was without, um, the mentor in my life when I was a, a college student here at Lee, he's now a professor here. It's full circle. What's interesting is, is actually, as I'm completing this master's program, I have two classes and my thesis left to write. Um, and he will be the professor to one of my second to last class. So he wasn't even a professor. He was a, a youth pastor when I met him. And now he's a professor here and, and life has sort of come full circle to where he's now my professor again and sort of that mentor. But those people are so critical. And I think what you said is so important. I think it's worth pushing on, especially for our listeners. If you're going to invest in young adults, if you're going to invest in young people, this word consistency is really the key thing. And, and you mentioned that with Laura. How, how was Laura consistent even in a season when you were far away? Yeah, um, I think people look at, they hear the word consistency and they get scared of it and they want to run the opposite way because they think that it is like this lifelong commitment that takes every hour of your day. And like, that's really not it at all. Consistency can just be a simple text here and there. Consistency can be a simple phone call or a voice memo um, mm. or just a little thing of like, hey, I'm praying for you. Um, and so like consistency doesn't take every hour of your day. You don't have to dedicate your whole life to somebody. But it's just getting on a level to like, how can I serve you? Um, consistency, like that's not in the spotlight all the time. Consistency happens in the in the behind the scenes moment. And I think the biggest thing that we run into with everyone my age, honestly, is that like we just don't know how to serve. Um, and therefore, yeah. I feel like a lot of us don't really know the true character of Jesus because Jesus came to serve. His mm -hmm. question was always like, how can I serve you? Not how can I get my name known? Not how can I be entitled to get to this position or whatever but it's like no how can I get on your level and get in the dirt with you and know you well enough to know how to serve you and so that's asking the right questions that's setting setting time aside to care enough um, to shut your mind off of what's going on around you that's the cost of leadership is just forgetting where you're at sometimes and what's going on around your life and just shutting it off to pour into somebody else and that's something that she does so well to this day and so now it's like it's not that like we as humans like discredit what we're going through as individuals but it's just sacrifice like love is sacrifice servanthood is sacrifice and so getting mm -hmm. to a place where that is something that we enjoy doing that's something yeah. that we care about doing because jesus came to serve and if we want to be like him then we need to learn how to do that yeah so so is there moments in your ministry and in your life where you do something and you go oh that's laura coming out in me um absolutely <laughs> absolutely just because I've, I've, I'm like really close with their family and I've watched them go through so many hard seasons. Um, and like, even in their hardest seasons, when I started to have a hard season, it's just like in a moment, she'd drop anything and everything just to be there on, on a phone call or to bring food to my house. I was like, what? You're like, you want to bring food to my house? Like what in the world? Um, and so it's just so inspiring to like watch someone else have their own struggles, but be so willing to drop it to come serve me. 
Um, and it's like a point where it's like, I don't deserve this. Um, and it's like, it makes me squirm kind of, but it inspired me and it pushed me to be that to the other people. Um, yeah. Cause it was in those moments that if she wasn't present there, I really don't know how I would have navigated through it. Um, and I don't, and I want to be where I am today if I never got through some of the other things that she helped me with. And so it's now when my students, if they need something, regardless of what's going on in my life, it's like, how can I serve them so they can get to the place where they're supposed to be? Um, yeah. And if that's through me, then that's an honor. Yeah. And I think that's the value of mentorship in, especially in a church setting in a, in a faith setting is um, it's the six words of Jesus that he, he said to his disciples. And it's really been sort of the linchpin as, as Dr. Lamb mentored me that has caused me to mentor others. It says freely you have received freely give. And the only responsibility we have is to give away what we've been given because the interesting part of mentorship of faith of the whole picture is, and it's only in God's economy that this works, that the more I give away, the more space I have for God to give to me. Mm-hmm. And it's this, this reciprocal or regenerative thing that, that as I pour myself out into, into others, all of a sudden I, I sense God pouring in more. And that comes through, through the Holy Spirit at times. It also comes through just people like the Laura's and the Dr. Lambs in our life who just keep investing and keep pouring yeah. in. And, and it seems as if, if the more I give away, the more room I have for God to put more in. And it expands what I'm doing, expands who I am. Um, and I think that's really one of the values of mentorship that you, and I think you're saying it, you found it as well, that, that you see Laura coming out in the things you do now in these relationships. How has that affected the Becoming Better mentorship program you started? Yeah, um, I think just having a heart um, that is open to, um, open to be hurt in a sense, just because I think there is a risk with mentorship and there is a risk with investing all your time into somebody um, that it could end up, in, it could be a total flop. Um, but oh, yeah. It could. And at the end of it, you can, you can, I can invest all my time into you and you really might not receive anything that I take or anything mm-hmm. that I give. And so I think um, just understanding that mentorship and leadership, it, it is a risk. And in that it's like, but I have to make sure my heart is right because I'm going into it expecting that I'm going to get something out of it or expecting that they're going to have a complete life change because hope said something is not the right mentality. Yeah. Um, and I learned that from her as well. It's like, the, I go back to the question. It's like, even if I get nothing from you, I still will give everything to you. Cause that's what Jesus did. Right. And so going into mentorships and it's like, regardless if this turns out the way that I hope that it does, I will give you everything that I have. I'll give you everything that I know. And I will, love you to the best of my ability. Um, and it's just a risk and it's a risk that we have to be willing to take, um, that we have to look fear in the face and say, um, you're not going to stop me because it, w- it wouldn't have stopped Jesus. And so it can't stop me. Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes we, if we look at the sort of Paul's explanation, sometimes we're the seed planter, sometimes we're watering and sometimes we're the one that can see the harvest. Right. And you never know what your role is in those things. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes you get to see the role. And sometimes some of these relationships, you're just simply planting seeds that, 10 years from now, somebody comes back and says, Hey, hope you'll never know what that meant to me though. We didn't see it. And we didn't see the fruit. Um, I know the value of that. Rob and I have talked about on several occasions, people who've come back to us eight, 10 years later and go, you never know the impact that moment made. And, uh, and we go, those were moments we didn't think we made any difference, you know? And sometimes right. it's just the seed we're planting. That's, that's making the impact in that moment for, for longer term. Um, and I think that's significant. We got to keep planting seeds, even if we don't see the return right away, we got to keep planting seeds. So, right. 
That's awesome. Um, I want to shift the, the conversation a little bit. Um, you have the mentoring program. You also wrote the book, The Second Table. What, what led you, and you, got, you have another book, How to Write a Book, right? An ebook. Right. Yeah. So you got two books. Let's not discredit you. Um, what led you to write the book, The Second Table? Yeah, I had known for years that I wanted to write a book, and I actually, I finished it, like finished the whole book twice, and I deleted it twice. Like, oh, mercy. The trash icon deleted, and I know, I was like, oh gosh, but it was one of those things. I would be on the phone with Mac. I'd be like, how do I get it back? Where did it go? How do I get it back? Honestly, gosh, and so it was a, it was a process, but the one that did end up getting published took me about a year. Um of sacrifice, of not hanging mm-hmm. out with my friends, of not doing anything except for writing this book. And so um, I wanted to write it because I have been a reader my entire life. And there's so many incredible books out there. But there's also so many books that um, it, it, that are not inviting to sit down at a table and have relatability. And so there's so many books where it's like people talk about their stories, but in such a surface level way to where it's like, oh, I hurt in this season of my life, but that's it. But it's not vulnerable enough. It's not transparent enough for people to really read it and be like, oh, my gosh, like me, too. And so I wrote the book in a way that is completely contradicting to what is socially acceptable for vulnerability. And so I wrote it in such a raw and transparent way to where I wanted anyone to read it for them to be able to look at and say, me, too, Um, to expose all of my junk, to put everything out there, to use everything that the enemy meant for bad, but turn around and use it for good. And so that's my life story. but written in a way to where it's not just like oh my gosh this is hope story but it's something that can relate and can um sit down with anybody in any season of life and then there is a huge section of the whole church mentality um of the i'm sorry if you hate jesus because of me and just church culture as a whole and everything and how to um combat that and really just the essence of the book is using your mistakes for good and how christianity isn't having it perfect all the time it's not always making it right but it's always getting back up and using your mistakes to to impact other people and not letting the enemy keep you down um so that that's my heart behind it yeah where's the title come from the second table like like i I, when i first thought i thought well you know i know what the kitty table is that's where i sat at thanksgiving for many years um that was kind of the second table but that's not what you mean right it's like the kitty table at thanksgiving is it no that is so funny um i love metaphors the lord really speaks to me through metaphors yeah um, just imagery and when I first got saved, um, I got saved at 16. Um, it was like right when I turned 17, I just had this imagery in my head of this man who was walking through a forest and he sat down at this first table and at the table, it had everyone with, they were wearing masks and they had their luggage next to them and it was zipped up and everyone had to sit so uptight and the man just felt so uncomfortable there. And in the imagery, he got pushed out of that table because he just didn't fit in there. Um, he couldn't fit to their perfection, he couldn't conform to it. So he kept on walking and he was walking by himself, but he wasn't lonely just because you're by yourself doesn't mean you're lonely. Yeah, true. With you. And so he got to the second table and everyone at the table, they had their mask off, off, off of their face in front of their table. And they had their luggage sitting next to them and they were all picking stuff out of their luggage and laughing about it and throwing it over their shoulder. And like in that moment, he found a spot at the table and he stayed there. And so I say all that to say is that, like I said, Christianity isn't the perfection pretending that you have it all together. But it's actually using everything that was supposed to be luggage and using it as a way to relate with each other and to laugh about it and to move forward. Um, And so just always choosing to sit at the second table with anybody that you come in contact with, that people aren't looking for perfection, but people need raw and people need authenticity and they need someone that they can say, me too. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think um, 
and you're you're quite a bit younger than I am, so let's just point out the obvious in the room. Um, you're so you're a digital native, um, and so the the early part of of Instagram, especially Instagram, was these curated, well documented, perfect photos, and right. so it became very difficult to have me too moments with anybody on social media because they were so filtered and perfected that oftentimes people felt felt flawed in comparison to that. Right. Um, so as a digital native, as a person who has lived through that, um, how have you got to a place of being comfortable? And listen, I understand vulnerability. It's never really comfortable, right. um, but comfortable enough to be like, here is me as I am, take it or leave it. What was that process for you? Right. Um, I am walking through that now and just different things in my life. Um, I really live on the line choosing courage over comfort. Um, mm -hmm. And like, I'm still human. When I see people in their picture perfect lives and you know, everything, I get super insecure sometimes. So I'm like, um, your life looks perfect and mine is not. But right. I have to remember that like it is just a screen and like I know we hear that 24 7 all the time it's like Instagram is just Instagram but it's it's still irksy sometimes but just remembering that like everyone has their own problems um and it really just start it starts with one person to be open and honest about it and so for yeah. me um the biggest thing that I've learned through all of that is that I am who I am whether I put a thousand filters on my photo or not whether I write the captions that make my life look perfect like I am who I am and I will never have to convince anybody that my motives are pure when I'm in alignment with the Lord. And so right. that's one thing I want to encourage anybody is that like at the end of the day, like perceptions reality or like people think this, but it's like who cares? Because if someone's gonna cast judgment on you or put their opinions on you, it's really not your problem. It's their problem because they're the ones who's putting their judgment yeah. on you. And so it's like you be in alignment with the Lord, you understand that you don't have to convince anyone that your motives are pure if you're in right standing with the Lord. And you use your open and honesty for other people so then that they can be encouraged and inspired to use their open and honesty. And hopefully, slowly by slowly, we can begin to change this whole facade of always being perfect and always making our lives look like they're the best things in the world. Yeah. No, I, we, my wife and I have an expression that we tell our kids that wherever you go, there you are. Like, so even if you go to social media and post something, there you are. You can, you can craft it however you want, but the real you is still the real you. It's not going right. to change. So, you know, if, if you move away and go to college or you move away and do whatever, wherever you go, the real you goes with you. So and good. I think that's so important to go. And it's, it's so hard. And, and listen, it's not just young, young adults. Grown adults still have this struggle of going, hey, look at everybody's life. Look at their vacation. Look at their car. Look at their house. Look at whatever whether it's on social media or real life and then we see it like must be nice to have bushes that look that neat you know that's like what old people say like your yard's so nice i wish my you know whatever it is that's what you know when you're in your 40s you start talking about grass and and you know bushes and things like that um but the comparison is still there and it's still a difficult thing to, to walk through and and vulnerability is so tough and and you're a reader and i went through a season of life where where the lord really pushed on the vulnerability issue with me I read three books back to back that I would never recommend reading back to back. I read Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, who is Vulnerability and Shame, Scary Close by Donald Miller, which is a memoir of him coming out of his shame issues. And then um, there's a John Bevere book. Um, I can't think of the name of it right now. Shoot. 
intimidation, breaking intimidation. Yeah. I think I cried for three months. Like, like just oh, as I read these books, like, like this is and like, like vulnerability was not something I was good at. And I'm like, Oh, it's so bad. Um, but it's important that, that as healthy believers, and you know, this hope that we come to a place where we can be transparent and vulnerable and it is risky. Right. It is, it is challenging. There is a cost involved. So as you wrote this book, The Second Table, and kind of laid out the story of what God did in your life, was there ever a moment you go, this is too risky? For sure. For sure. Even, even in my day-to-day life now, I'm like, this is risky. But um, at the end of the day, I have to think back to when I was 13, when I was 15, when I was 18. Yeah. What if somebody was that open and honest with me? What if I knew someone else had dealt with this too? Someone else was walking through this too? It would have changed the whole trajectory of my life. And I'm happy that it didn't because I am who I am because of it. But Mm -hmm. if I can use, if I can suck up my pride and just put it out there, like this happened to me, I did this, I dropped the ball on this for the sake of helping someone else not walk down that same path, then that is okay. And it's when when we are too prideful to not be open and honest, that's where, that's where we really need to search our hearts and our, and our soul, because that's not okay. We're all human. Um, and it is our responsibility to use what we've walked through to help other people, um, to not walk down that and to show them that there is a better way. And that even if you do walk down that, even if you do fall, that there's still grace, that there's still hope and that there's still, there's still a future. And so there's, there's always good, always good. Yeah. Uh, my again, we're talking. We talk about mentoring throughout this whole thing. My my mentor, Dr. Lamb, his name, I call I call him William because he wasn't doctor when I met him. But <laughs> Dr. Lamb um, used to say quite a bit. Um, God has a way of turning your pain into pulpits. Uh, that He wastes nothing, you know. And I think that's a significant story um, in your life that that God is using what was painful and making a pulpit or a platform, a place for you to share that to help other people. Um, and, and, and which is interesting is because, and we've talked to a couple other people in the, so the same, um, tribe as you, um, which we found it really part of the intrigue of Gen Z is this entrepreneurship of, of young leaders such as yourself. I don't, do you know Hannah Granowski? I do. Yes. Okay. So we had Hannah on the show, um, earlier this season and with Generation Distinct, um, We've talked with Carson Case, who is a great young man. We've talked with right. Luke Lazone and, and others in this sort of space. And there's this unique tie-in between ministry and entrepreneurship. Um, and again, you guys are digital natives. You have the, you know the language of Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all the things better than, than we do. What, what sort of has led you specifically into being able to go, okay, so I have this platform and I had this message and I can use it to, to connect somebody else and help somebody else. And also, and I think it's a good thing, help sustain you financially. Where's that coming from? Do you think in your generation? Right. Um, I've thought on this a lot. And so I think that, I think there's two sides to it. I think that our generation specifically wants to create things for the people of our age just because Mm -hmm. a lot of churches um are so accustomed to their traditional ways and a lot of people our age don't necessarily feel like there's a spot for them and so one of the two of like the great things of our generation is that they are so proactive they will go out they will get what they want 
um, but they want it now, and they they don't want to they don't want anybody right. to stop them. They want it right now. If they don't get it right now, then they're gonna lose their minds. Um, but then on the other side of that, like as good and proactive as that is, then like kind of like what we talked about with the servanthood is that we kind of miss the whole process of like serving the house, and then you know, and the yeah. progress and the process of that. So therefore, that's where the character flaws come in is that we have this entitleship of we are going to make this happen. So now we're the boss of it, but we don't know how to serve. Therefore, we don't have good character because it's like my way or no way. And so for me, um, I have, I've served in the house for a while. I've, I love my job. I love my students. I feel like they're my own kids. But for me, um, I knew that with the sword the Lord's given me and with the things that he's put inside of me, that there's still more people that I could reach if I put my foot towards it. And mm-hmm. so it's just a it's a really season of learning how to balance all of it. So my priorities are still in line, but um, to be able to do more for the people who are outside of the walls that I work in. Um, and I, I only charge for it just because then I can put more time to, it and I don't have to try to get a second job to be able to sustain myself. And like, I hate charging for it. It took me so long to like, even like put any money towards anything. So I'm like, I want to do everything for free. But I'm yeah. like, I have to like really, suck it up honestly and be like this is what I have to offer and it's okay to charge for it a little bit because it is benefiting somebody else Um, and it's not out of like a bad heart and so it's like it's been a whole lot of like internal processing because I hate it listen we've wrestled it um and and a couple things I know is if somebody pays doesn't pay for something they don't value it something for free is not valued very often uh so and we just we just talked with Allie Worthington on the show and Allie is a a businesswoman minister, and she talked with us about the tension of that, mm-hmm. the the tension of being able to do business and ministry, and that a lot of times she's helping leaders create side what, what John Acuff would call a side hustle, um, right. but but it's something out of their heart and their passions and their gifts that God's given them that's good work, that's also helping sustain the ministry aspect of their life because, um, and she said this it was funny she goes. Nobody goes into ministry thinking they're going to make $10 million a year. If they do, they're probably doing it wrong. So like, that's just the case. If you're, if you're making $10 million preaching, I don't know, I don't know where you're preaching. Cause like that ain't happened in most places. Right. So, so there, there's a tension and, and, and I've walked through it and, and my grandfather was a pastor and he was bivocational, what we would title bivocational. Um, he worked, you know, a job or had a business and, um, so I think there's, there's some value to what you're doing and excuse me. And I think some, some of the leaders that, um, are listening even ha- wrestle that tension, especially older leaders. Right. Um, because there, there's often been a mentality that as pastors, preachers, as ministers, um, that money is the root of all evil, not love of money. You know, that, mm-hmm. that if we make too much, then we're, we're, we're not really serving the Lord. Um, and I don't think that's what, what we're saying here. I think what we're saying is that there's opportunity to serve people well and be compensated for what God has given you. And that's, that's essentially what you're doing with the, with the becoming better mentorship, with your book, with the other resources you're putting out. Um, and I think, I think that's a good thing. And I think we're seeing it in Gen Z, especially because you mentioned something and I want to touch on is there's a, an overall feeling sometimes that there's not space for you. Do you feel that, and again, feelings are, are, are not always the most authentic representation there, right. but I think there's some truth to it that Gen Z feels like, especially in the church, they're having to carve their own space. Yeah. I think with a lot of the people that I've talked to is that that is like a recurring 
um, I don't want to say an issue, but it's something that's lacking for sure. It's a struggle. Let's, let's call it as it is a struggle. Yeah, it's a struggle um, for people our age um, of just like not feeling accepted or not feeling like it's relatable or it's um, able to help them or grow them. And so I think that that is why so many people are always searching. So many people are always trying to make something else just because yeah. they walk into the church and there's judgment or they don't feel welcome. And if you don't feel welcome, you're not going to stay somewhere. If you don't feel welcome, you're not yeah. going to be receptive of anything that's there. Um, and so that's why they go out and they try to create something else. But then again, I'm like, I feel like that falls back into the whole church culture thing of the people inside of the church. And that maybe that's why. And so it's not maybe necessarily the traditions that some churches are caught on and maybe it's not necessarily the services but maybe perhaps in fact it is the people that's the underlying factor in all of it um and i think that may be for that might be something for everyone to have a heart check in you know yeah yeah no i, I agree i think i think um i'm a huge advocate of local church i still think it's the vehicle that god uses to get the gospel spread in the world and i think as people being the local church not just the buildings and the structures and the organizations but the people being the church um is what is what's going to carry the gospel around the world now we have we have new vehicles such as social media and and ways to stream and i think even during this time of pandemic the the gospel has spread further than it's ever spread just through some of those channels um so i think i think there's the tension and i think the other tension like i can speak for someone who's in his 40s we we were part of the wait your turn generation like the the, there were so many leaders ahead of us we were waiting our turn and sometimes we got our turn and we we want younger leaders to wait their turn like in your generation and it's one of the great things about gen z and and younger millennials they're just not going to wait around and so Mm -hmm. they they create they take what god's given them they make opportunities they create platforms they create resources and go forward and it's that's encouraging because I don't know that, and I'm an advocate of getting young leaders in place early to learn and to grow. And that's what you had as your experience. We advocate that on the show. We advocate that to leaders who listen, find young adults, put them in place. We talked to Adam Weber. He was telling us about a a sophomore in high school who's leading worship at their broadcast campus. Wow. So, I mean, that's taking a risk on somebody, that they, but putting trust in somebody who's young. So I think if the church responds by going here's space here's opportunity with the safety net i think that's always important strong leadership going hey we're gonna we're gonna walk you through this we're gonna walk with you in learning to lead um with the safety net that when they fall they're picked back up and go all right here's what we did wrong we go forward from that right um i think then these two things can coexist well serving the church and having this sort of side hustle resourced sort of opportunity for people where they won't won't sit in tension of one another does that make sense yes 100 percent. okay and so so i hope i hope even as older leaders uh, i'm not really i I fall somewhere in the middle i'm like calling myself old like i try to think (laughs) myself as young but um leaders that are not part of gen z or, or the younger millennial generation um we would be comfortable with with creating resources we'd be comfortable with with putting things out there to help people and, and making some, some, uh, some income. And again, we, you can listen to the Allie Worthington, uh, episode. She talked a lot about that and, and doing some of those things. Um, so I just think that's, that's important conversation. Um, and, and here's what I love about your story 
and we'll kind of wrap up this conversation that way, that you were given space early, it seems like, the folks at Free Chapel. Um, tell me just a little bit about that, and we'll kind of wrap up with, with that thought. What was it like to be 18, 19, 20? I'm not sure you said you'd been there two years, and be approached to be on staff at a church. Right. right. Um, I came on staff when I was 20. I was 20 years old. And so um, it was something that I, I didn't struggle with too much just because um, I have a long story. I dropped out of high school and I started a ministry college when I was 16. And so I did two years there and was in leadership positions when I was 17, 18 over people who were like 27. And so I had to really deal with my age factor back then. Mm-hmm. When I came to the college, I was still the youngest. I think I was still the youngest in my whole class when I got hired. Um, but I think I just had to really understand and recognize that it's not anything that I did to get hired. And that's what I live my life by now. It's like, I don't know how I am where I am. I don't really know how I'm doing the things that I'm doing. I don't know how uh, the Lord trusts me to yeah. leave the capacity that I am. Um and then again, I'm like, I feel like that, that might be like why he does let me because I'm so dependent on him. And I'm like, this, I'm like, hope didn't do anything. Hope is not the smartest, smartest person in the world, but like, I love the Lord and I'm dependent on the Lord. And I will make sure that what I'm sharing is from the Lord. I'll always give truth before my opinion. And so it's like, I don't know how that even happened, but I just know the one who allowed it to happen. And yeah. so I think I'm my own human flesh. I struggle sometimes with my age. So I'm like, oh my gosh, all of you guys are still older than me. But here it is. Um, but just always point people back to the Lord and just be dependent on the Lord, be in constant remembrance of where I come from. Um, that always keeps me an understanding of who I am, who I am in the Lord and yeah. what he's done. Because um, it's not anything that I did, but it's just, I just said yes to the Lord. And here we are. Awesome. I love that. Well, hope let's wrap up. We have one final question. We ask every one of our guests to come on the show and you had some experience in a non-traditional college setting, we are here on a traditional college setting, but I think the question is still a great one. What is one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in a classroom? Right. More than anything, I think that I have learned to just simply be present. Um, you don't always have to have the right things to say. You don't always have to have the right plan in place, but if you just show up, you just be present, um, the Lord will open the doors to get you where that is. And so be there on time, have the character to show up on time and to stay, um, be the last one to leave, help, serve, just be present as much as you can, That whether that be at an event, whether that be at a conference, whether that be in somebody's life, just be mm-hmm. present and show up. You don't always have to have a perfect plan or the perfect thing to say, but if you can just be present, um, the rest will fall into place. Awesome. That's so good. Be present. That's a great, great advice. How can we stay connected to you, Hope? Where can we find you on socials? Absolutely. Um, Instagram is my main one. Trying to hop on the Twitter train, but I really don't know if it's going to happen. So Instagram is my main thing. And then I have a website, um, hopemoquin.com. Okay. So make sure you follow Hope and pick up some of these resources, the book, The Second Table. It's uh, going to be a great read and really going to help you guys. And as we always say here at the Leadership Drip, you have a seat at the table. Hope, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Hey friends, thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Drip. We loved having you at the table for this conversation. Would you do us a favor and comment, rate, subscribe, and share on your social media? That way we can get this content to other great leaders. And stay connected with us on Instagram at The Leadership Drip and on Twitter at Leadership Drip. And remember, you have a seat at the table.